Welcome, everyone, uh, to a special Asia Society conversation this afternoon. I'm Tom Nagorski. I'm the Executive Vice President. Uh, joining you here from uh, the Asia Society in New York. We're here today to take stock and offer reflections on what has been a, uh, a truly eventful few days in Asia. We knew it would be. Uh, that's why we planned this uh, call and conversation. Uh, I'm not sure even the wisest uh, minds had uh, any inkling of just how interesting and eventful the weekend would, would ultimately become, uh, not just at the G20 uh, meetings in Osaka, but also then uh, for that remarkable bit of uh, diplomacy and I guess we should say diplomatic theater uh, at the demilitarized zone uh, in Korea. So there's that much more to talk about now. Um, we'll be covering both the Trump-Kemp meeting uh, and uh, the U.S.-China trade, uh, the resumption it seems of talks on that front, uh, and other matters joined by three leaders uh, of the Asia Society Policy Institute this afternoon uh, to offer their views and insights. Kevin Rudd uh, here with me in New York, of course, former Prime Minister of Australia and President of the Asia Society Policy Institute. Uh, Wendy Cutler, a longtime U.S. trade negotiator, uh, vice president at the Policy Institute, head of our Washington office, which is where she uh, is at the moment. Uh, and Danny Russell, also a vice president with the uh, policy team here, and who in his capacity as Assistant Secretary of State for East Asia and Pacific Affairs uh, would typically go to such meetings to advise uh, President Obama and his team on precisely uh, the areas and the issues we'll be talking about today. Danny, by the way, joining us from uh, an undisclosed location, we might say, which is another way of saying he's very kind to join us on vacation. Uh, thanks to you all, and uh, we'll start uh, here in New York with uh, Kevin Rudd, uh, really from uh, Osaka to the DMZ. Kevin, a remarkable weekend. Thanks very much, Tom. I'm just going to make a minute or two's introductory remarks and then go to our two specialists, both Wendy on the trade war and Danny Russell on North Korea. I think everyone who has joined the conversation this afternoon understands the importance of the two sets of meetings which have just uh, happened. One, the G20 meeting in Osaka, uh, and within that, uh, the critical nature of the bilateral which occurred between President Trump uh, and President Xi Jinping. And surrounding that, also, what the G20 had to say and not to say about the future of trade, trade protectionism and the global economy. Uh, and then, um, uh, either orchestrated or otherwise, uh, the uh, drop-by uh, to the DMZ, or as our American friends insist on calling it, the DNZ, um, where President Trump uh, met his new best buddy, uh, Kim Jong-un. Uh, and then I, I will turn to Danny for his thoughts on what actually happened, what was the administration's motivation, and where it goes to from here. So to set the ball rolling, over to you, Wendy, from Washington. Uh, tell us about the trade war, what happened in Osaka, and where to from here. Well, thanks, Kevin. Um, I think we all heard a sigh of relief all the way from Osaka after Presidents um, Trump and Xi Jinping um, completed their 80-minute meeting um, just this weekend. Um, the way I see it, there are really four key outcomes of the meeting. One, and importantly, both sides agreed to restart the trade talks. These talks broke down on May 10th, and since then there's been very little, if any, communication between the two teams. So now the both teams will get back together. Second, importantly, the U.S. agreed not to proceed, at least for the time being, with further tariff increases. And keep in mind that the president had been threatening 
an increase of tariffs of a, up to 25% on an additional $300 billion worth of Chinese imports. So this was a big move and I think very important. Second, and probably a surprise um, for most observers and to me, was the president's announcement um, indicating some flexibility on the Huawei issue. I'll get to that in a minute. And four, the president alluded to a Chinese agreement to buy more U.S. agricultural products, something that the Chinese haven't yet acknowledged or confirmed. Um, I thought I would just make a few observations um, on the meeting and then talk a bit about the way forward. First, um, this is a welcome step. I think we are now going to see a de-escalation of trade tensions. And this is important because things were really escalating at a very quick pace. Second, um, um, I would say that the outcome was largely expected by most observers leading up to the meeting, with the exception of the president's indication that he may have some flexibility on Huawei and specifically indicating that some US um, sales of equipment, software, technology to Huawei may be allowed. We've seen over the past 24 hours, however, there's been some kind of walk back from this um, announcement. And I think over the next few days, we'll have more clarity on what exactly the president was referring to with respect to Huawei. Um, I would also just say, um, and this gets into now looking ahead, the resumption of talks is an important step, but this by no means guarantees that when the negotiators get back to the table that their job's going to be easy. As far as we can tell, and at least publicly, there was no indication of this, there was no further guidance given to the negotiators except probably to try and find solutions to, your, to the outstanding issues. So the negotiators are going to find themselves with the same set of issues before them um, that led to the, that, that they weren't able to solve. And this is complicated by the fact that over the past six weeks, both the U.S. and China have been pretty public about what their priorities are in the negotiations and what red lines they have, things that they can't or won't do. And so I think this is going to complicate the, the ability of negotiators to find a solution. Um, my view is if the political will is there um, and both sides are willing to do some give and take, solutions to the outstanding issues can be found. Um, the president has indicated he's in no rush. I think President Trump thinks that the U.S. has more leverage here. China may be thinking um, they have more wherewithal to to um, you know, to continue talks and to get the U.S. to move, and so I think what we're going to see is these talks are going to play out over the coming months. If I had to predict when a solution, if and when a solution can be found, um, in other words, can both sides reach agreement on a trade deal, I'm still optimistic that they will find a way to yes on these outstanding trade issues, and I would look to the scheduled meetings in November. Um, of um, international economic meetings when um, the leaders may meet again, November 16th and 17th in Chile um, for APEC, um, as well as possibly for the ASEAN East Asian Summit meetings in Thailand earlier in November. So I'm gonna stop there and why don't I turn it over to Danny who can um, help us understand what happened in North Korea on the North Korea issue um, this weekend. 
Thanks very much, Wendy. Um, I think that Trump's handshake with Kim Jong-un, similarly to his G20 meeting with Xi Jinping, basically restarts a process that had gotten stuck. But as you point out, Wendy, without resolving the fundamental problems that blocked an agreement in in the first place. So President Trump got a handshake, he got headlines, but it's not at all clear that he got any closer to ending the threat of North Korea's nuclear weapons than he got to you know, eliminating the trade deficit with China. I'd say there are a number of similarities also to his approach to China and to North Korea. You know, One is this pattern of lavishing personal praise on the leader while putting pressure on the country. Um, another and probably the most striking is this brilliant use of political theater. So, you know, I think what we're seeing at the G20 with Xi Jinping and at the DMZ with Kim Jong-un is a pattern of very theatrical and highly personalized summit diplomacy, what I used to call diplotainment. The DMZ meeting was not a last minute uh, inspiration. It was really a plan. And the same was true of President Trump's walkout of the meeting in, in Hanoi. And when you look at how the markets have reacted to the resumption of trade talks with China after all the suspense that he created, you see the value of this theater. It's mesmerizing, you know, it's made for TV storytelling, completely dominates the media. And related to that, I think, is his sort of genius for creating leverage. So in the case of China, you've got hundreds of billions of dollars in tariffs, you've got this scorched earth campaign to destroy China's flagship telecom company Huawei. For North Korea, you had the threat of the bloody nose, fire and fury, total destruction of North Korea. Now, in in both cases, it's true that we haven't reached the end game, um, but there are some very big unanswered questions, which are like, number one, for all of this leverage, what has the U.S. actually gotten uh, from either China or from North Korea? And what are the tactics, this sort of assault uh, approach going to cost us in the long term. And I'll leave it to Kevin to talk about uh, the consequences with respect to China. He was uh, recently in Beijing and can tell you about the atmospherics there. In the case of North Korea, I think the critical question has to be, you know, what was it that the two leaders actually shook hands on? Because so far, the only real agreement is a pretty lopsided deal where the U.S. suspended joint uh, defensive exercises with South Korea and North Korea uh, is holding off on its nuclear and ICBM tests, although it continues to expand its nuclear arsenal at the rate of maybe one nuclear weapon a month, according to the Defense Intelligence Agency. So it looks like the outcome of the meeting at the DMZ, the handshake is that Steve Began will at last get to sit down with a North Korean counterpart. Now that was something that was agreed to a year ago in Singapore as well, so we'll see. The president keeps insisting in the case of North Korea, like China, that he's in no hurry. And that doesn't really help the negotiator much. Um, But I'd flag three problems that we face uh, based on this outcome. One is that in North Korea, unlike with China, where there's no lighthizer, there's no liuhe, In other words, there's no senior empowered negotiator with authority. Uh, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo got nowhere with the North Koreans. The North Koreans categorically refused to talk to John Bolton. Uh, Steve Began is not 
either in the cabinet or in the Trump inner circle. Um, and it's always been the president who's been the yes uh, person in the administration. So why would North Korea agree to haggle with a tough-minded underling? Second problem is that this is a classic North Korean tactic. You, you divert the Americans from the big issue, the battle over what's important, like um, dismantling their nuclear facilities, and get the Americans involved in some prolonged battle over something pretty small, like um, re restarting or scheduling working level negotiations. And when the North Koreans finally give in and make a concession, it feels to the US like we've gotten something. And of course, the North Koreans are collecting their reward. But the biggest issue is that the North Koreans, by holding out and also by reconciling with China, have gotten to set the terms of the negotiations. And what that means is that North Korea has been insisting that the issue to negotiate is sanctions relief in exchange for shutting down uh, at least one of its nuclear production sites. And, and Steve Began has indicated that that is basically the shape of the negotiations to come. So what it means is that we're not negotiating a rollback, uh, let alone dismantling of the North Korean nuclear program. We're just, we're bargaining over a freeze on additional production of nuclear weapons. And this is the very thing that not only Bush and Obama administrations, but even the Trump administration in the first year, year and a half, had repeatedly ruled out. Now, we'd all like to believe that that could represent the first step towards denuclearization, but we know from experience with North Korea that it's likely to be the last step. And it means de facto accepting that they are a nuclear weapons state, and the issue is how much more are they going to add to their arsenal? Just two very quick last points, one on Japan, one on South Korea. Um, the decision by the president or the statement by the president calling into question the US-Japan Security Alliance really sends shockwaves through not only Japan, but all of our allies. Um, it, He's revealed in a couple of ways that I can go into and in, in, if people are interested, uh, a pretty worrisome ignorance of the nature of the security alliance. In the case of South Korea, um, as much as the South Korean president Moon wanted to be the broker that brought uh, Kim Jong-un and Donald Trump together, the North Koreans have been attacking him as a puppet of the US saying they don't have to talk to him because they can go right to President Trump, his Lord and master. And the decision by President Trump to make Moon, President Moon sit out in the lobby while he and Kim spoke uh, is only going to make that dynamic more problematic. So I'll stop there. Thanks, Kim. Thank you very much, Danny, and thank you also for joining us, given that you're on um, recreation leave at present in an undisclosed location in the Catskills. Um, if I could just make a couple of uh, concluding uh, remarks. Uh, the observation made by Danny before that if you look at both Osaka and Panmunjom, the bottom line is what's been achieved, two, quote, negotiating processes, unquote, have been recommenced. Um, but in neither case have any substantive concessions been given to the United States, either on the trade question um, that we know of uh, or on 
the nuclear question. And we do not have any further guidance that we know of uh, to be provided to the people who will be actually running the negotiations themselves. On the trade negotiations, we've had three sets, if you like, of American concessions. Uh, we've had uh, the uh, recommencement of trade talks, uh, which effectively the United States suspended uh, some um, six or seven weeks ago, and with no material change in the Chinese position since then. Secondly, we've had the unilateral uh, concession by the United States that there'll be no uh, tariffs imposed on the remaining uh, $300 billion worth of Chinese exports, at least while negotiations continue. And thirdly, this quite remarkable uh, set of language uh, from the President, President uh, Trump, on Huawei. Uh, and a sidebar there, if you're an American ally like Australia, which has already backed in the United States by banning Huawei domestically, and then you hear the President say, that the listing of Huawei uh, as an entity which the United States won't trade with is now up for grabs, uh, then you'd start to feel enormous domestic political pressure if you were such an ally such as Australia. But they are concessions which the President has given to the Chinese side in exchange for uh, what he has asserted a preparedness by China to recommence purchasing American agricultural products presumably reflecting his own sensitivity to uh, soybean farmers in the United States. But as Wendy correctly pointed out, nothing definitive from the Chinese side as yet in terms of what that might be. Um, to go back to Danny's point as well, a recommencement uh, of negotiations um, at working level, uh, but with no concession at all uh, from the North Korean side vis-a-vis uh, the actual substantive agenda on the dismantling of existing uh, nuclear capabilities and ballistic missile capabilities, but instead almost crab walking into a new position, which is talking about uh, a possible removal of sanctions or partial removal of American sanctions against North Korea in exchange for the North Koreans agreeing not to further proliferate, but to keep what they have. This actually represents, again, a substantive change in an American negotiating position and I think is full of um, uh, problems uh, for the future. Um, I think um, what I would say in conclusion uh, is that we therefore face, I think, quite a rocky road uh, for the remaining six months of the year. On the trade talks, I agree with uh, Wendy, based on my own recent discussions in Beijing, uh, that we are likely to see an outcome. What sort of outcome, we don't yet know, but we are going to see, in my judgment on balance, uh, a negotiated outcome. I think the subsidiary question, though, in terms of reaching that outcome, is whether, in fact, China's publication of its own negotiating red lines, uh, which they did six weeks ago, will in fact be the real issues of one which this is fought, or whether it's the underlying structural issues alive within the pre-existing negotiating text on forced technology transfer, on the question of IP protection, uh, and on the question of state subsidy, 
for Chinese firms in the future, in the tech sector in particular, where the real fight will be had. That for me is an open question. Um, and uh, on the North Korean front, in terms of the next six months, uh, pity the poor American negotiator, that's all I say, in terms of what um, Steve Began now has to um, put on the table uh, with his North Korean counterpart, assuming there is a North Korean counterpart uh, who has not been, as it were, removed, liquidated or shot, uh, depending on which version of events you believe uh, happened to the last set of North Korean negotiators who accompanied Kim Jong-un to Hanoi.